Well, thanks everyone for gathering here today. I know uh, when things like batteries die on people, it can be, uh, if you've ever been in that situation, I don't know if you have or not, but it can be one of these things that sort of throws you off. Um, but I do want to say everything we're doing here just about is run by volunteers. And so our production team has done an amazing job during this time and just learning and new things as well. And so we want to say thanks to them. Um, and again, we're glad you're here today uh, with us. I'm supposed to mention two things, I guess. Uh, I was given this note here. Um, starting midsummer, so we do home churches, small groups that meet throughout the week. Normally, they're roughly gathering from September to mid-June, and so many of them are winding down now. Um, but this summer, then that gives us opportunity to do other things. And some summers, we've done different book groups. We've done a, a lot of the home churches will do small gatherings out in the park. Obviously, that'll look a little different this year. Um, barbecues, that sort of thing, and summer outreach. So this summer, we're doing less of those things, and we're adjusting accordingly. But one of them is going to be a book study that'll be both online and some, perhaps one or two of gatherings out in a park, socially distanced, um, going through Drew Hart's book, Trouble I've Seen. Drew Hart is, a, he calls himself, I think the word he uses, Anablactivist. Anablactivist. He's an Anabaptist, evangelical, uh, African-American guy, and he's written this book on experiencing sort of racism in the church. And um, I've read through the book when it came out a couple years ago, and we're going to be going through that. So uh, there's information. Sign up our email list in order to get that information or email the church, and we'd be more than happy to make sure that you can get connected with that this summer. And then we're doing a leadership meeting, all-church leadership meeting, which is open to anyone leading anything uh, or interested in leading. That will be Sunday night, uh, June 28th at 5 p.m. Sunday night, June 28th, 5 p.m., and it's going to be via Zoom. And so again, uh, if you want information about that, just email the church or get a hold of me or anyone you see doing anything here, and they can uh, make sure that you get the information with that. All right, I think we're going to dig into teaching time this morning. Uh, again, for those of you new in the room, we want to welcome you. I'm so glad you're here today. Uh, thank you for RSVPing in advance so we can try to make sure that we're honoring all of the directives from the health authorities and uh, we're trying to be as safe as possible. Thank you for wearing masks. Um, when I'm teaching, I don't wear it because uh, I, I asked the team and they said don't. And so we have this big space in front of me of, of like three meters here before the next person. And... Um, but thank you for doing that. I wear contacts and glasses, and I forgot this morning I should have put my contacts on. So as I'm humming along and saying the prayers, and my mask is like this, my glasses are starting to fog up. And so we're going to spare you that this morning during the teaching time. So uh, joys, of, joys of COVID life. So, all right. Are you ready to dig in this morning, the teaching part? Yeah? Some head nods, some, okay, you're all awake. We added a fan, so there's a little bit of a droning uh, white noise in the background there. So Josh and Sophia, if you start falling asleep, you just got to nudge each other, right? So, you know, I can see. <laughs> uh, so don't, don't let that noise uh, send you to sleep. We'll maybe compensate with some of the volume there if Oliver can help us with that. So, um, all right. So this morning's teaching, we're going to jump back into the Colossians series. We had been discussing Colossians uh, before uh, the... Uh, the incident in Minneapolis with George Floyd, and so we jumped back out of that and sort of went into some teachings on racism in the church, and I want to encourage you, if you have not had a chance to listen to those, please do so, and there's tons of resources out there. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff from a Christian perspective on, you know, what does it mean that we're made an image of God, and yet God has made also all of us diverse and unique as people and cultures, and how do those things work together, the unity and diversity in the kingdom and and how do we fight against sin, both individual, structurally, and even a bit ideologically around that? So I encourage you to dig into some of those resources. 
So this morning, we're going to go to Colossians. If you have a Bible, I encourage you to turn there with me or use your app on your phone and go to the book of Colossians. It's in the New Testament and uh, Philippians, right in that Galatians, Philippians area. Uh, you can find it. And then Thessalonians is right after Colossians. So it's one of the little letters uh, there in the New Testament. I want to read to you a short passage this morning from Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. By the way, I posted a thing online about reading the Bible, and uh, this is my embarrassment Bible I'm using today. Uh, I literally will engage with my Bible tactilely. There's a joke about it, you know, if you highlight everything, then you're highlighting nothing, right? Um, but I use these, we'll go through a Bible through, usually through a year, and I've done that in the past many, many times. I'm using lectionary readings right now for my own reading in my daily life, um, but I'll go through and mark things up. And this is one example of one that was really marked up, and so it's very colorful. Um, but I encourage you to find a pattern of reading Scripture. So we're going to read in Colossians this morning. I invite you to join with me. Uh, we're going to start at verse 24 of chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, verse 24 says this. Paul's service for the church. He says this, Now I'm happy or joyful to be suffering for you. I'm completing what is missing from Christ's sufferings with my own body. And I'm doing this for the sake of his body, which is the church. It says, I became a servant of the church by God's commission, which was given for me, or given to me for you, in order to complete God's word. Verse 26, he goes on and says this, I'm completing it with a secret plan or a mystery that has been hidden for ages and generations but which now has been revealed to his holy people. Verse 27, God wanted to make the glorious riches of this secret plan or mysterious plan known among the Gentiles, which is Christ living in you, the hope of glory. This is what we preach as we warn and teach every person with all wisdom so that we might present each one mature in Christ. I work hard and struggle for this goal, with an energy which works powerfully within me, or which works in me powerfully. Pray with me this morning as we dig into this short teaching time together. Lord, we thank you for your presence here. We thank you for what you're doing around the world and what the enemy intends for evil, whether we're talking about disease or social sin, uh, injustice, Lord, that what the enemy intends to eat for evil, to destroy, to dehumanize, to steal, and to kill, that out of that you are able to do something and work through that and bring new life and hope. And so, God, we pray that you'd continue to do that work this morning in our church as we gather, as we are the beloved community that is centered around our identity in Jesus, as we tear down walls, as we engage in the message of Jesus. And so, Holy Spirit, do your work today. I can't change anyone's hearts. I'm a saint and sinner in process like everyone else here. And so, Lord, take your word and do what only you can do with it, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And if you're willing to say amen, or yes, or so be it. So this morning, we want to dig into Colossians again. And I have to warn you, I like doing verse-by-verse -verse series in part because they force us to talk about things that we might not normally speak about or we might avoid. And this text has a little bit of that with it this morning. I like topical messages too where we say, here's a topic and what does scripture and the tradition of the church have to say about this and some of the best of human wisdom as well. And so this morning we dig into this passage again. Uh, I came across an illustration that I thought was sort of funny because it pointed a little bit to something that Paul is getting at here, one of several things he's getting at here. It's called the marshmallow test, the marshmallow test. 
this article was in Science Daily in January, and it says this, the marshmallow test is a classic research project that illustrates our lack of self-control and delayed gratification. For the study, the researcher would give a child a marshmallow. Uh, do any of you like marshmallows? I know as adults it's maybe hard to confess this, but any of you like marshmallows? Okay. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. there was a couple hands that went, yeah. Okay, really quick up and then back down. So marshmallows. Uh, or peeps. You like peeps? You know what peeps are? Okay. Yeah, okay. That's an awful, nasty Easter marshmallow candy. There's my opinion on it. So they would give each child a marshmallow and tell them that they could eat the marshmallow or, or they could wait until the researcher would return several minutes later, at which time they would get another marshmallow. So if they could hold on to the one, they would, get, they would double or nothing. They would get their second marshmallow. And there's videos on YouTube that abound with kids in successive versions of this original experiment, waiting, playing with, and sometimes eating the first marshmallow foregoing their chances of a second marshmallow. In January 2020, the results of a new version of this experiment were released, and in the new version, kids were paired up, playing a game together, and they were sent into a room and given a cookie with the promise of another cookie if they could wait for it by not eating the first cookie. So you got to, again, hold on the first cookie, and you can double your cookie experience there. However, some of the kids were put in what researchers called an interdependent situation in which they were told they would only get the second cookie if both they and their partner could wait and refrain from eating. So now both kids had to wait and refrain from eating a cookie. So again, double the kids and the cookies. The results showed this, that kids who were depending on each other waited for the second cookie significantly more often. The kids that were waiting on each other could wait for that second cookie significantly more often. According to the researcher Rebecca Kuhlman, in this study, she says, children may have been motivated to delay gratification because they felt they shouldn't let their partner down and that if they did, their partner would have had the right to hold them accountable. It suggests that we are better together in terms of our decision-making, how we look at resources and power and community, that we are better together than we are alone. In this passage, the Apostle Paul lays out some things that I think are super important for us to understand, particularly in the time of COVID. Because COVID can play on our individualistic tendencies highly, and then we can sanctify them uh, sometimes with our sort of our secular science. And we want to affirm science, of course, but when we turn science into scientism, a form of religion justifying all kinds of other anti-communal behaviors sometimes, that's a problem. Paul says this about the community of the church. He says this, that he is willing to suffer for others for the sake of the body of Christ, which is the local church and the church universal. That he's willing to engage in risk for the sake of beloved community. I think when I see injustice in our world, Paul's words ring in my ears, and maybe they ring in yours as well, that we are called to be people who risk for the welfare of others, for the benefit of those outside of the givens that we had that we were born into, that the, the way of Jesus is a different way of being human, and we've been hammering that theme at Pilgrim Church because it's so important that what we do in the scandalous, messy local church literally changes lives and families of kinship for generation when we invest in this people centered around Jesus as our new identity, our new core identity, that there's power in that. 
There's a reason why the church has outlasted empires. There is a reason why the church enters in to those that are on the edges of society. There's a reason why we have to constantly be thinking of downward mobility, so opposite of our world way of thinking, but that there's power in that that changes people. And oh, by the way, if you engage in that, you will experience new life and blessing and freedom from sin as well. So as Paul says, I suffer for others for the sake of the church. He demonstrates for us what this self-sacrificial love is. And I want to ask these questions before we just walk through the verses again here. I want to call you to a renewed commitment for this upside-down love for others that are outside of your current circles of comfort. I want to challenge you, and by the way, I'm preaching as much at me as I am at you. That's the joy of being a pastor. You're preaching at yourself as much as anybody else. So, So make sure you hear that this morning if you feel convicted or angered or provoked that I'm also probably doing the exact same things with my own emotional state as well. But that's the power of the gospel, the power of scripture to provoke us to a new way of being uh, and living out our lives. So I want to ask this, are you willing to suffer for others, for community, for upside down love? Are you willing to push beyond your close circles of comfort And yes, of course, we're honoring the nature of science and social distancing and your bubble and all that. It doesn't all have to happen in literal physical space. But don't let the physical distancing cause you to spiritually distant and relationally distance. Don't uh, use the tools that we have through the good side of technology to engage, to humanize, and to stand up for the things that are good and full of love and joy and the peace of Christ that can flow through that. Let me just say this, so much of our contemporary life is designed to save us time, energy, pain, and effort. So much so that we miss out on some deep things, some important things that will only come through sacrificing time, sacrificing energy, sacrificing even pain and effort. That there's some things that only come through that path. And so I want to look at this a little more today as we see Paul. Are you guys still awake in this room, or has the fan put you to sleep? Somebody say, yes, I'm awake. Okay, we've got a couple that are awake. All right, I'm going to pause and take a sip of my coffee. Two-thirds decaf, so we'll be safe. N.T. Wright uses this illustration to talk about this passage as well. He says, imagine, if you will, uh, a big, maybe let's call it an oak tree, a big oak tree. And this oak tree is helping nurture a sapling tree that's a sapling tree that's just a little starter tree some, some meters away. And that big oak tree is there protecting that little sapling from the harshest winds and the harshest storms. That tree in some ways is giving of itself in order that the new thing can spring up. And that's something that Paul is illustrating here in this text. So as we look at the text, just there's, we're going to divide it into just 24 and 25 26 and 27, 28 and 29, just three little sections there. We're going to look at the first two verses together. He says this, he's commissioned to serve and he's commissioned to suffer. The word affliction in the Bible is used to indicate various kinds of oppression. The Roman and the Jewish leadership politically and violently oppressed what was the new church and the the baby church that was happening. And even today, we still have oppression against Christians because this idea of core identity in Jesus and everything else flowing out of that and becoming healthier and alive is threatening to those that want to divide, those that want to divide and conquer, those that want to build power bases, those that think power is limited. 
And it was just as threatening to the religious leadership within ancient Israel and to the Romans as it is today for totalizing powers of empires. There is a war against you embracing Christ because if you get Jesus and the idea of a God who loves outrageously that will change how you do life and relationship and there is a war against that and it's very real and and we need to be aware of that and awaken to that. So Paul is dealing with this sort of oppression. He's dealing with this, this violence that he's experienced for the sake of the mission of the church to go forward, which is a new humanity rooted in self-sacrificial love, defined and sustained by Jesus' death on the cross and God's grace that we can access that frees us from our sins and allows us to move forward in new life in Christ. He's saying here that there's something else. There's two things going on in these two verses that I want to point out. Uh, just for, for brevity's sake here. One is that many Bible scholars say this, that there's something that Paul himself particularly had a calling to do. That as an, apost- uh, as an apostle in the early church, his particular commission was to take the ministry of Jesus and now spread it to the rest of the world, from Judeus, the, the Jewish homeland to the rest of the world around, as far as he could go within the Roman Empire, and that he had a particular call to do that, and that particular call was oppressed. If you don't know the story of Paul, Paul was a righteous uh, Jewish leader who was absolutely against the church. He saw it as an aberration, a a dysfunctional Judaism that needed to be stamped out initially. And and then when it began to become uh, international, even more so, claiming Judaism and bringing it to everyone else around, Paul, to use modern language, was a religious terrorist against the church. He was seeking the death and persecution of leaders of the church. And maybe that's a bit hyperbole, but a bit of an exaggeration, but not much, because when we read about what he supported in Acts and what he says about himself, that he was one who was absolutely against the church. I think of today, and I pray this, by the way, for politicians who are absolutely against the church around the world. I won't name names, but there are some that I'm praying for their conversion, who are absolutely trying to destroy the church in their nations or in their areas of influence. And I pray, oh God, may it be like an Apostle Paul, who from their zealousness for their ideology, whatever it is, turns to the self-sacrificial love of downward mobility of Jesus, and may the church expand uh, through that. So we pray for our enemies, by the way, in Christianity. We pray that God would bless them. We pray that they would see uh, new light and life in Jesus. So Paul has a particular commission here to suffer, and he did suffer. So he becomes a follower of Jesus through a vision and a dream of the living Christ. I find that interesting through a, what we would call a charismatic or a sort of supernatural, quote-unquote, I don't like that word that well, but supernatural experience. Paul's whole trajectory is changed. And he goes from being a violent persecutor of the church to being one who will receive violence for the advancement of the mission of God and the message of Jesus Christ. There is a living Christ that met him on the road. And I just want to pause this morning and say to you watching on the screen and you listening in this room that maybe you're on a spiritual journey and maybe you're moving towards Christ or away from Christ, but I want to let you know that Jesus wants to meet you on the road of life and let you know that he is the destination that you're yearning for, that your heart is yearning for, that there's something deep within you that can only be satisfied through an ongoing wrestling relationship with Jesus. Jesus is living and rose from the dead and can meet you in that place on the road. Just as he met Paul, he can meet you today in this room. He can meet you today in your living room. And so Paul is suffering for the sake. And he says this, I became a servant of the church by God's commission, which was given to me for you to complete God's word. He goes on in verses 26 
And I should back up and give you a great quote from Nijay Gupta. He says this, that this is not simply for ourselves, talking about these verses, but true spiritual perfection involves seeing the highest, seeking the highest good for the community. Say it with me, the beloved community. Would you, the beloved community? One more time, let's say it with some gusto, but not singing. The beloved community. The beloved community. Gupta says it's not just for his self, but the highest good for the community. And if the problem is an individualistic, transcendent, ascetic philosophy, what was going on that we're going to get to later on in Colossians, what they were dealing with within their church was this outside philosophy coming in, telling them that it needs to be all about you having this mystery experience sort of alone and uh, in, in your closet or in the cave. And, and Gupta goes on and says this, Paul lectures them about an incarnation, which means putting, making it real, physical, and a church-centered philosophy. Their obsession with and against the physical body was another issue they had, we'll read in chapter 2, has turned their attention away from and against the church body. In every generation, the church wrestles with, should we continue on? COVID-19 has brought this up for many churches. What does it mean to continue on? And I would say, if we submit ourselves to Scripture and to what Paul's saying here, is that the message and the purpose of the church as an alternative community of love rooted in Jesus and God's grace, forgiveness of sins, individually and socially, that we, the world needs this message now more than ever before. Our politicians have failed us. Our kinship ties have failed us. Our social economic beliefs that we could isolate our way will eventually fail us if they've not failed already. All of these things fail. But the message of Jesus and the love of God being rooted in your heart and being a community, a beloved community of love, that does not fail. That continues on and on and on. If you want your life to make a difference, Yes, find your skill set. Yes, we've got graduates. Go to university, find or our skills and trades, whatever it is. Yes, do all of those things, but also tie your life to the message of Jesus. Not only make a difference in all of the trades and all of the sciences and all of the skills and all of the things of the world, but also tie your life to Jesus because Jesus' name will last forever and ever. If you want your life to make a difference, bring them together. And I think that goes for those of us that are also in midlife and late life as well. And so Paul is commissioned and served to suffer. He hitches his life to Jesus. I guess I have a question for you in these, first, these two verses before we get to the last. What are you willing to risk for this church to be a true beloved community in Vancouver? What are you willing to risk? I think it means showing up in many different ways. I think it means investing in one another's lives. I think it means things like making space and time, whether it's online Obviously, safely for some gathering, whatever, but finding ways to invest in community. I think it means using your gifts and talents to help the mission of Jesus and the message of Jesus, radical new humanity and sacrificial love get out there because we need that. Religiosity will fail us. Simply going through the motions will fail us, but engaging in community and being willing to suffer for the sake of the right in the world and for the sake of others will bring you joy. He goes on and says, I'm happy to serve. I'm happy. I'm joyful. There's a gift of joy in this. Okay, let's move on quickly. And everyone said amen. Um, verses 26 and 27. I just got too wound up on those first two verses. He goes on and says, I'm completing it with a secret plan, mystery. This word mystery is used here a couple times. And in New Testament lingo, 
the false teaching within this community was also saying there's a mystery that you have to go through special rites and rituals. You have to do this certain religiosity in order to have a revelation of secret mystery. But in New Testament, the language Paul is pulling in from probably those false religions or those mystery religions, he's saying, here's the thing about the mystery here. The mystery is that God has been working from the very beginning of time. He used ancient Israel, wanted it to be a nation of priests to bless the world and to empower the world. The mystery is that in Christ, God had a plan from the very beginning to tear down walls between people to reveal himself and that Jesus' message is the mystery. It's an open secret, as it were. He says, I'm, I'm completing it, this mystery that's been hidden for the ages and generations, but now has been revealed to his people, his holy people, set-apart people. God wanted to make the glorious riches of this mystery known among the Gentiles, which is Christ living in you, the hope of glory. So the mystery is he wanted to make known, and what is it? That Christ can live inside of you and give you hope and give you the sense of being uh, full of his glory. That's going back to Genesis language, the image and likeness of God, the glory of God, Church Father Irenaeus said, the glory of God is a human being fully alive. And Jesus comes to deal with all of that in the cross in his life and teachings. Christ's mystery to be disclosed. I want to say more, but I know we're running out of time. So I'm going to go to verses 28 and 29, and then I'll wrap it all back up again. He said, this is what we preach as we warn and teach each and every person with all wisdom. There's a teaching mission of the church. There's an admonishing, sort of a negative, hey, there are things that we do that are destructive. There are things when we talk about sin, and I'm thinking about doing a little topical series on sin. What is sin? Why is sin so bad? What is the power of sin? Because sin dehumanizes another. Sin reduces another. Uh, it, it individualizes us. It sets us up as sort of this godlike judge over everyone else, and we get our identity then out of judgment instead of out of outrageous, self-sacrificial love. And that sin causes us then to do things that destroy the image of God and others relationally, creationally, other ways. And so that's why sin is the evil that it is. And it's also a power that we can be entrapped in through addiction. Sin that we participate in and sin that we can be trapped in. But he says this, so he admonishes or warns and then teaches positively with all wisdom, talking about the wisdom of God that God provides that is revealed in Jesus' life and teachings. So we might present each one mature in Christ. So Paul says, there's a mission of the church that helps us mature and grow up in the image of Christ, which makes us better humans, makes us better neighbors, makes us people who are now moving more and more like Jesus. Of course, the unique version of Jesus that each of our personalities brings to that, of course, but there's something about that that there's a maturity that we're to seek. I find it interesting that Paul is doing this and he's writing to a church. Some Christians are incredibly immature. Have you ever met an immature Christian before? Raise your hand. Yes? Yeah, just, okay, some of you have, all right. If not, um, tune into some uh, Christian TV in the States. I'm just kidding, no. <laughs> Sorry, I shouldn't say that. Immaturity, he's saying we need to move into maturity and that there's a teaching mission we have. And it's not just what I'm doing as a pastor, by the way. It's also what happens in home church. It's what happens in the small discussions. It's what happens when we commit to do life together that we help build each other up, we challenge one another, and we move from being individualistic in our focus or only our family or kinship focus to a larger community, and God can work in that and mature us as well. And so he goes on and he finishes up and he says this, verse 29, I work hard and struggle. I work hard and struggle for this goal. Again, I suffer, now I work hard and struggle with all of his energy which works in me powerfully. When I think about building the beloved community, there's a weariness that sometimes comes over me. 
And I know the truth that the church has endured past empires, outlasted the Roman Empire, has outlasted all kinds of political arrangements, and yet sometimes I still get weary. The scripture says, don't grow weary in doing well. And Paul is here saying, I'm happy to suffer, and I'm working hard, and I'm struggling. And then he gives us this little sort of zinger at the very end. By the way, when we struggle for the beloved community of the local church, of the Jesus-centered community, of the, of the new humanity, and then it brings a proper order to all of the other beautiful mosaic that we bring from our cultures and families. He said, by the way, when we put the church in that role, there is another energy at work. The very Holy Spirit of God promises to directly empower this community, promises to move in us. The Holy Spirit even uh, will come and fill us when we put the beloved community there and a community of self-sacrificial love that His Spirit is present in a unique way in that place and in those people. He says, by the way, I struggle and I suffer, but there is joy and there is energy that comes. What I have found when I push through those walls that we have in relationship, whether that's making a call, going to a small group, even reaching out and engaging with my neighbor who may be far from Christ and have zero interest at all, is that once I push through that initial resistance, there is a gift of joy and an energy that is given. That, my friends, is the Holy Spirit at work. That, my friends, is something that I want every one of you to encounter and to experience if you have not in your life, that he promises to give energy and joy. And yes, of course, we need rest and Sabbath cycles of rest. I'm not saying don't do any of that. But I think in North America, we've tipped the the teeter-totter all the way to the other end of forgetting that this community is worth engaging. This community is worth suffering for. This community is worth experiencing God-given joy and energy pushing through those hard things. And so this morning, I'm going to land the plane and just remind you again of what I think is good for us to hear to walk away with today. Christ is the goal. Christ is the center. Christ is the one who empowers this ministry. And Paul sees that suffering for others to build up the local body of Christ, the church, is worth it. And so I want to invite you into that. Will you take those steps to engage in community? Will you not waste your life simply being all about yourself, but knowing that as you turn outward, there are, there are wonderful things to encounter and to experience as we work towards building the, and, sin, and recognizing the image of God in others. I want you to engage with Christ's love and learn what that means through his teachings, through his death, through his resurrection. Are you willing to suffer for others? Well, there's a popular message. I should have titled it that. Come to church and suffer. I know you think that because of the length of my sermons. That's not actual suffering. That's privileged suffering. So you all need to just get off your high horse on that one. But are you willing to suffer for for the sake of community? And I can't tell you what that means in each of your individual lives. But are you willing to risk Because when I look around our world and I look at our politicians and I look at our governmental systems and I look at um, all of those that claim to bring us peace and security at the end of economic might or the end of a sword or the end of a military, we see that it's not delivering on the promise. But I'm here to tell you the church has delivered on the promise of Jesus again and again and again if we are willing to risk 
and suffer for the sake of community, for the sake of right, for the sake of humanizing and creating this new family, this extended Israel, as Paul uses that language. That there is joy, there is energy, and there is peace that you can take with you all the way to the grave and even the life of the world to come. So I call you this morning, dear church and friends, to renewed commitment to being the beloved community, to risking for Jesus, and to receive His grace. Not as perfect people, but as wounded healers, to use the words from Henry Nouwen, that we are being shaped and formed. Can we join with Paul and say in our own time and in our generation, we are willing, we are happy, we are experiencing joy in order that others come alive. And as we do that, God pours back into us again and again. We can't outgive God. It's a virtuous cycle. So I invite you this morning into that life, into the life of Christ. If you're able to, would you stand with me if you're in this room this morning? I invite you to stand if you're able to do so. Use your, use your legs. I think we have a question. Well, you can stand and stretch while we do the question. I think I already answered that question, so I'm not going to answer it again. Okay, so let's pray. <laughs> uh, we just talked about that, literally just covered that one. So, um, yeah, let's pray. Worship team, I invite you to come up here as well. Lord, thank you for your presence here in this place. And God, even this morning as we were dealing with tech issues and sort of the discomfort of that. Thank you that, hey, we're an authentic community. We're beloved community. We're messy. And Lord, I thank you for each person that's here and listening online today or listening later as well. And that you would challenge us to be people who risk for real community, not just simply the tight little circles of comfort that we control, but community that is outward, community that is focused and centered on Jesus as core identity, and that we learn to carry that into the world around us. That we can risk love for the other because of what you have done for us. That you have risked it all for us. And that we can join with Paul in that sense of expanding the mission of the church. To help people come alive in a different way of being human. That we would learn to be peacemakers. That we would learn to be concilers. That we would learn to be those who enter into the pain of the world and bring your peace, bring your ear, bring your love to bear. Now, Lord, continue to shake us and mold us. May this season in the church be one of deepening, deepening into the things that matter and letting go of the things that don't. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name.